Well, we're in part 14 of our Unstoppable Force series. And I know it's Mother's Day, and I, again, we're going to say thank you and happy Mother's Day to everybody that's here. And we celebrate our mothers. But I really feel impressed by the Holy Spirit just to continue on our journey through the book of Acts. And so this won't be a Mother's Day specific message, although there are mothers that have made huge impacts throughout the church. And we are so thankful for all of you and for all that you do. Uh, So we hope that you're having an amazing day. We thank you for being a part of this today. We last week we looked at Acts chapter 9. Remember there was this man named Saul who had been persecuting the church. He was there when Stephen was killed. And then Saul had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he was on his way to Damascus to put believers in prison. And Jesus stops him, appears to him, and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, Saul's like, who are you? And he said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And through the experience, Saul became blind. And Jesus told him to go to Damascus told him to go to this particular place. And then the Holy Spirit impressed on this average, ordinary believer named Ananias to go and pray for Saul. And we talked about how God sometimes asks us to do hard things, things that are outside of what we would want to do. Ananias actually kind of didn't fully argue with the Holy Spirit, but he kind of did. He's like, do you know that this is Saul? This is the guy that's approving our deaths. He's trying to imprison us and you want me to go to him. And and the Holy Spirit said, yeah, go to Saul, pray for him. He is my chosen instrument. And so Ananias being faithful, that's who we talked about last week. If you didn't get a chance to, to see part 13, you can go on YouTube and you can get the full service or you can get just the message. And, and our media team does a great job to give you all of that information. You can go on there and, and see what we, it's called uh, doing hard things. But Ananias, just an average believer, he wasn't one of the apostles. But he obeyed God. He was available and he obeyed. And he went and prayed for Saul. And it said that scales fell off of Saul's eyes and he could see. And then from there, begins the ministry and training of Saul to do and preach the gospel. And we're not going to get into all of that. There's a few things that happen. We're going to jump ahead a little bit today because I want to talk about as with this birth of the church, we see what the apostles were doing. And some of the things become a little bit repetitive in this. We're skipping over really Tabitha being raised from the dead. Or if you read certain versions, Dorcas. Her name was Tabitha, I think, in Hebrew and Dorcas in Greek. Um, Interesting, interesting name. But she had died and she was well favored and Peter prayed for her and she rose from the dead. It's pretty amazing. We knew Jesus did that with Lazarus. Peter did it with with, uh, Tabitha. I'm going to skip past that a little bit because I want to go to a story where... God is breaking down social and racial barriers with the gospel. If you know anything about the Jewish history or that time frame, they were not allowed to go into the house of somebody that was a Gentile, anybody that wasn't a Jew. 
They weren't allowed to eat with them. They weren't allowed to go into their houses. They basically were not allowed to fellowship with them in any way. And it goes all the way back through the history of the Jews. And what would happen is if you read through the Old Testament, especially through the kings, you'd see a time where the Jews would start to intermingle with other cultures and then they would serve other gods. It wasn't about, they weren't bringing other people to the one true God. They would go and serve Baal and Asher and all these other gods. And so God just said, look, you need to separate yourself. And so they had it in the law that they weren't, it was not lawful to even go and eat or go to somebody's house. But now with Jesus, see, Jesus breaks down all those barriers. He tore the temple veil so that we could have relationship with God with his death and then his resurrection, man, it just gives us new life. And then we have eternity as the firstborn of the dead. We have eternity with him. He just breaks down all those barriers. But then we're going to see the racial and social barriers broken down. This is something that's a really important topic for us as a church to talk about. Over, well, for really decades, there has been racial tension in our country. And there's been ebb and flow, but through this last year, through the deaths of certain black men, we just had uh, a shooting that involved Asian women. There has been throughout our history a racial issue. And at times, those that were making the strong point for those racial issues were Christians. A lot of people in the Ku Klux Klan claim to be Christians. It is a very dark point in our history. And oftentimes as the church, we put our head in the sand. We may not overtly segregate people, but we also don't do anything to fix the issue either. Jesus broke down racial barriers. He broke down social barriers, economic barriers. At the foot of the cross, it doesn't matter what color, race, creed, or how much is in your bank account, we all kneel at the cross before Jesus. We all leave this life the same way, and we all enter heaven the same way, through Jesus. So I want to talk about this a little bit. So if you want to flip over to Acts chapter 10, we're going to read a story where Jesus is breaking down this barrier, this racial divide, and opening the eyes of the apostles in the new church to what his vision is. Remember, he said in Acts chapter 1-8 that we were going to preach, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we're going to preach the gospel throughout the ends of the earth. But yet it didn't sink into the Jews. They just kind of thought, well, we're going to preach that gospel to Jews all over the world because Jews have been scattered. But it was much bigger than that. So in Acts chapter 10, we're going to have a lot of scripture today. Just kind of bear with me as we go through some of these. I'm going to read verses 1 through 21 to set the stage for the message today, which I entitled, Breaking Down Social Barriers. Verse 1, it says, In Caesarea there lived a Roman office, army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said, 
Cornelius stared in terror. Can you imagine an angel appearing to you? This guy's not a Jew. He's a Roman officer, a Gentile. He said, what is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called, to, called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants, and told them what had happened and sent them to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to, to pray. It was about noon, and he was very hungry. You got that? Peter was hungry. He's going up to pray. Food's being prepared. But while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, and he saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. Then the voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked, Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over his vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Go, get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I am the man you're looking for. Why have you come? Pretty amazing story, right? See, there's a lot that's there. Like in the Jewish culture... There are certain foods that you were not allowed to eat, that there were commands. Most of us know that pork is not something that, that Jews will eat. There's a whole list in Leviticus chapter 11. I'm not going to read it today. But if you ever want to go back and see the things that, that God told them not to eat, there was a whole lot in that list that they were told they could not eat. And Peter, being a devout Jew had never eaten any of those foods that were in that sheet that was coming down. And, and God was preparing him. And that's my first point today is God or the Holy Spirit prepares us. When, when we're about to do something that is like these hard things like Ananias did, when God is getting us ready to do certain types of ministry or to speak to somebody or giving us a vision or an idea or to start a church or to start a small group, or to speak to a coworker or a neighbor. God always prepares us for that encounter. He does thing, he puts things in our life to get us to a place where we're ready to minister to the people that he's given us to minister to. God knew the apprehension that Peter would have to go into a Roman centurion's house. Romans could imprison him just as much as Saul could have. He was a Gentile. So God gave Peter this vision 
of this food and tells him, don't call something unclean if I call it clean. He was preparing him for what was going to happen, that these men were going to come. I know it seems kind of absurd. It's a little bit weird in our context to think that Peter couldn't go to somebody's house, but it was against Jewish law. It's kind of like Jesus sitting at the well with the lady who had had multiple husbands. It was really unlawful for a Jewish man to be alone sitting there at the well with this woman. Jesus broke down those barriers. It may seem a little bit weird or absurd, but Jesus had prepared that way. And the Holy Spirit was preparing Peter for this vision. He wanted to let him know what was coming. I think of my own life. I know I don't often share some other stories, but I can, I can share stories of what's happened with me. You know, several years ago, God led Pastor Jennifer and I to Kennesaw to start a church. You know, it's been, we've been here almost 16 years. You know, the first six, seven years we lived here, God didn't let us start the church. And this actually goes all the way back. He was preparing us for what we were getting ready to do. It goes all the way back to when Jennifer was back in school at Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida, that God directed us to a church plant, a new church in the Tampa area, and we were doing a youth ministry there, and it was an incredible time. But it was in those moments that God put a deep desire for us to start our own church. I had never had any intention to do anything but youth ministry. I know you're thinking, man, that old guy wanted to do youth ministry his whole life. But that's all I ever wanted to do. But when we were back in Tampa, God gave me a desire and gave Pastor Jennifer a desire to plant a church. And he laid Kennesaw in our heart not long after that. He was preparing the way. Fast forward, we get here. And he doesn't let us start the church right away. We actually worked at a church that was struggling with another pastor. We were associate pastors. We worked at that other church for six years. And helped that church. We were being paid for that. We were there serving. And during that time, the lead pastor of that church started a foster care agency. And throughout that time, I got involved in foster care, ended up getting my master's degree in child protection and juvenile justice. It prepared me working with foster kids, working with the biological parents of those kids, helping me to understand people that I had never really interacted with. Sometimes there's these stigmas that are around different people. Take foster care or a parent that has a child in the foster care system, we don't always know the story that got them there. And God showed me how to hear about the story and not to make judgmental calls or opinions through my time in foster care. He learned how to take me from being like Peter was, or well, actually just like any other Jew, and, and we're all that way to a degree. We're judgmental. We see a certain person that looks a certain way or dresses a certain way or acts a certain way, and we put them in a box. What that time taught me is that even though my mind automatically puts them in that box, there's a lot to that story that I don't know. And until I take the time to build relationship, until I take the time to listen 
and talk, I'm not going to understand their story. I'm not going to know how to share the gospel with them. Or my life is not going to be able to shine for them. And let's face it, some of you look at me, a white guy who's a pastor in the South, and you've put me in a box already. And some of you found out I don't fit in boxes real well. There, I base my values through Scripture. I don't always do it well. Do I have prejudice? Absolutely. All of us do. You're lying if you say you don't. Like I said, our mind automatically puts people in certain boxes. When we learn to get past those prejudices is when we find out that, wow, that person really doesn't fit in that box. They have this going on in their life. This is who they are. That's where the conversations happen. That's where we have to be careful. Have you ever met, said a statement and used the term them people? Think about that. Those are very racially or social, socially charged words where we're putting people into a box. We have to take the time to get to know somebody's story. Now, let's continue our story here. Peter invites the men to stay the night because it was late. It was, a, I think it was like a one or two day walk to Cornelius' house. And the next day they got up and left. And I want you to understand something. Peter didn't go alone. He brought others with him. Not any of the other apostles, but he brought other leaders with him. He didn't go by himself. It's always better to bring somebody with you on the journey. Always better to bring somebody with you on the journey. One, for your own accountability. Sometimes for your own protection. But also to witness what God's doing. Peter was not alone in this. Now let's pick up at verse 28. I'm going to read through 33. Excuse me for one minute. Verse 28 says, Peter told them, You know it's against the law, our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. Now he's at Cornelius' house. I skipped them getting there. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. Notice God's already prepared him. That was about food, and there's a food element to the vision that Peter had, but really, it was about racial things. Cornelius replied, four days ago, I was praying in my house about this time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me, and he told me, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard, and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon the man named Simon Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here waiting for, before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Verse 33, underline it if you can, or highlight it, or do something with it, because 
The second point today is the Holy Spirit prepares the recipients. It prepares the place that you're going. Whether it's an individual person or a group of people, the Holy Spirit prepares the way. He prepares you, and then He prepares where you're going. Look at verse 33 again. It says, So I sent for you at once, and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Anticipation. They're waiting to hear what God has to say. When's the last time you just waited for God to speak to you? Do you come to church expecting God to speak to you? Do you watch these videos expecting God to speak to you? Or is it just a check mark? Oh, I showed up today. No, come with expectancy. I'm glad you showed up. I'll take it. But come expecting God to speak into your life. I don't care if it's a passage you've heard a thousand times before. Maybe you've heard this story multiple times. Maybe you've even taught on this story or preached on this story. God can still speak to you. You know, last week I spoke on Ananias. I think in 25 years I've never spoke on Ananias. I've always talked about Saul coming to Christ. But Ananias... He did the hard thing. And right now, Peter's doing a hard thing. He's going to a place that socially was unacceptable. As a leader in the church, one of two things could happen. One, he could change the culture of the church. Or two, the church could kick him out. Peter didn't care. He wanted to follow God. He was obedient to the Word of God. See, the Holy Spirit prepares the recipients, and they were ready. We often think that we have to have everything in order to lead somebody to Christ. The truth is that we are just a part of the puzzle. God is already preparing that person long before you ever talk to them. Remember, we've kind of went back and talked about how discipleship happens even pre-conversion. That's been a, really a basis of this entire series, that we're being discipled long before we ever come to Christ. Cornelius was God-fearing. He wasn't a Jew, but he worshiped Yahweh. He worshiped God. God had already prepared him for what was going to happen. Then the angel showing up to him took it one step further. God always prepares. We don't know what part of that puzzle. It's not my job to save anyone. It's not your job to save anyone. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, 6-9. I planted a seed in your hearts, and Apollos, and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together for the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers. And you are God's field. You are God's building. Paul was talking about how, yeah, some people had shared the gospel already, or I planted the seed in your heart. Apollos came behind me, and he preached, and man, it sunk deep in, and he watered it. He caused it to grow. He gave all there, but it was, and I say he caused it to go. He, he continued to water it, 
and God caused it to grow. The Holy Spirit's job is salvation, not mine. I've never saved a single person. Jesus has. The Holy Spirit has prepared the way, prepared our hearts. So just as the Holy Spirit prepares us, He prepares the field or the place that we're going to minister to. It might be the coworker that you've been praying for. It might be an interaction in a park, or it might be something that you're going to do in a grocery store. You know, it could be a dozen different things that God would use you, or it might be an opportunity to lead a small group. You know, you're planting seeds prior to somebody coming to Christ, and it might be that one day that you invite them to church, or maybe somebody else invites them to church, and they go and they get saved. And it doesn't even matter if it's your own church. I know, I firmly believe this, that I'm going to stand before Jesus one day. And the list of people that came to know Him through my life is going to be far bigger than the people that I ever even known about. Now that sounds like an arrogant statement, but I, I have to believe that the seeds that I've planted over the years that I didn't see the fruit of, I believe there are other people that have seen that fruit. And you know what? I celebrate that. They don't have to come into my ministry. It's not really mine anyway. We're all a part of what God's doing. If we are available, which we talked about last week, and we obey, that's going to be your story as well as my story. We're no different. There's no difference between Ananias and Peter. Both obeyed what God was doing. Ananias did the hard thing and prayed for a man that was trying to kill him or imprison him. Peter did the hard thing of breaking down social barriers to go to the house of Cornelius to share the Word of God. Both were prepared by the Holy Spirit. We are just active participants in what God is doing. When we obey, we become a part of God's story. Sometimes I think we put so much pressure on walking in God's will and doing this great ministry that God has laid out for us when simply if we just do day-to-day obey what God's asked us to do every day, we're going to be a part of that big story without even realizing it the impact and the influence that we have on the people around us, the people that we're discipling and not even realizing because they watch our lives, our story, our struggles, our pain, the victory that Jesus gives us through that struggle and pain. There are people watching it. We're a part of that. We're planting seeds. We're watering what's already been planted and God is going to grow up a great harvest and I want to be a part of that. Ananias was, Peter was, and there's a result to that. And I want to look at that, the results of being available and obeying. It's our last point today. Look at verses 44 of chapter 10, and we're going to go on into chapter 11 with this. 
Starting at verse 44, it says, Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. Peter's preaching the message. He goes into their house. He goes into Cornelius' house, and he's sharing the Word of God. And while he's sharing it, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, Can anyone object to their being baptized? Now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterwards, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several more days. On to chapter 11. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. Remember I told you, this was unlawful. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them. Explanation point. They're saying, how dare you do that? How could you do that? You're a leader. Then Peter told them exactly what happened. He gave them the whole story. He told them about Cornelius' vision. He told them about his vision. And if you jump down to verse 18, he says, When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, We can see that God has given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. That is breaking down barriers. You know that person that rubs you wrong way? You know that person that you see walking down the street and maybe it's the way they dress, maybe it's the music they're listening to, maybe it's the whatever tattoos and piercings or whatever and you've put them in this box. And you know what, you don't, you don't talk to them. Actually, you're kind of just waiting and hoping that something happens to them. Because you've put them in this box of people that you don't associate with. Jesus broke that barrier down. There is not a single person that walks this earth that Jesus didn't die for. Every single human being that draws breath, that's made in the likeness of God, Jesus died for, whether you like them or whether you don't. Whether you believe in their political views or whether you don't. Whether their skin tone is different than yours. Whether their culture is different than yours. Jesus died for them. And as natural as it is for us to have prejudice, we do. Everybody does. We have to go against our nature in that and take the time to listen. Take the time to be a part of the discussion. Take the time to find out what's going on so that you can understand. It doesn't mean that you have to join in their culture. That's the one thing that God told us not to do was to worship other gods, to go down that road. But 
when we take the time to learn and when we take the time to understand, we will have the time to show the love of Jesus and earn the right to show the love of Jesus. There's nothing more humbling than seeing a homeless person on the side of the road or when we've gone and done some of the outreaches in downtown Atlanta. Recognize how much God loves them. It's humbling. To talk to some of them And I've met homeless people that have master's degrees, doctorate degrees, that once had six-figure incomes, maybe through bad choices or circumstances, they ended up where they are. But they're still loved by Jesus. If Jesus can save Paul, who was throwing believers in prison and having them killed, There's not a single person on this earth that Jesus doesn't want to save, whether you like that or not. Actually, if you struggle with somebody coming to Christ, you need to repent. Get on your face before God, because woe to you when you stand before Him one day. I know those are hard words, but it's true. In a few weeks, the city of Kennesaw Churches are coming together at First Baptist Church just down the road from us. And churches are coming together in partnership with the police department for a Juneteenth celebration. I want as many of us to be a part of that celebration as we can be. It's a celebration of unity and understanding. I sat on a call this week with pastors from black churches pastors from predominantly white churches. And I know, I hate that it were segregated that way, but it, it, it's not intentional. But people tend to draw and, and drift towards their culture, and that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. But we're going to come together in unity and say we're tired of seeing the social and racial tension be there. And this goes beyond racial goes beyond economics. This is all people. Even people that sin. Even people that aren't walking in the light of God. Take homosexuality and lesbianism. Yeah, we know what Scripture says about that. But that person isn't Satan. They're a child of God that needs the redemptive power of Jesus in their lives. And we need to treat them like they're a child of God. With love and respect. No different than you would treat anybody else that walks in your door. That's what Jesus did in that moment. We may not agree with or like everything that's done. And and, and I'm not saying that we condone the things that go against Scripture, not in the least bit. 
But as believers, we are to be thermostats changing the temperature of our culture. We need to be loving and welcoming. That anybody should be able to walk through the doors of our church on any given day and feel loved and respected. So today, I want to challenge you to be like Peter. God's speaking this to you. We're to love everybody that we get an opportunity to love. No, we're not going to like everybody. No, we're not going to agree with everybody. 2020 has taught us anything. The divisions in our culture have become stronger. COVID shows the weaknesses that are in our body physically if we catch COVID. It's shown us the weaknesses in our churches, in our personalities, in our lives. We all need Jesus. And I know I rub people the wrong way. I know I don't always treat people the right way. I know I have prejudice in my life. That's why I take the time to get to know as many people as I can. Because every time I get to sit down with somebody, every time I get to know somebody's story, I learn a little bit more. I have a little bit more compassion. I understand how much Jesus loves them. So I want to challenge you today. If you're really struggling with how to treat people, it's time to repent. It's time to turn to Jesus and allow Him to change your heart. To get rid of bitterness and anger and fear so that we can truly love those that are around us, even those that have hurt us. They're the hardest ones to love. And I believe that God can change you today, that He wants to change you. You know, when we do baptism, it's death to the old life and raising into the new life. If you've never been baptized, I encourage you to we can set up a time to do that. But that story, that symbolism, we are new creation under Christ. It's time to break down those old barriers and to begin to love and treat everybody with respect. Let me pray for you today. And again, if you need prayer, if you need somebody to pray with you, if you need to repent, click the prayer button. It opens a private window with one of our hosts We'll pray with you. Feel free to contact me at the church this week. We'll pray with you. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for what you did on the cross. I thank you that you break down barriers. And right now I ask that you would move on our hearts. Lord, forgive us for our prejudice. Forgive us for the way we think and have treated people. Lord, renew our mind like it says in Romans 12, so that we act out of your love, out of your mind, through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling with this right now, that you would touch them through the power of the Holy Spirit, that they would confess it, that they would repent of it right now. 
Lord, I pray that each one of us, that we would be better at breaking down those barriers, that we would no longer keep our head in the sand, but Lord, that we would do the things that would help change this culture and turn them back to you. Be with us this week. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. To all our mothers out there, again, I say happy Mother's Day and thank you so much. Have a great week.